this is Keely, back with another Fabulous You podcast. Here's Chris and Shotgun. We've got a great pod for you today. Oh my god, I can't even tell the difference. That's amazing. <laughs> I hate you guys. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Sprantling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. Hey guys, this is future Keely, just jumping in right now. We recorded this episode on a Friday. Basically an hour after we finished recording, I got word of Kyle Ford's injury and had to get to work on that. So this is a delayed pod. We didn't talk about those injuries. We will in an upcoming episode, but I just wanted to put this preface, so in case you're wondering... Why didn't they talk about a story that Keely actually had a hand in breaking? We'll get to it. So this is just the preface. Uh, we talked about Reggie Bush and JT Daniels transfer. So hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back pretty soon talking about the latest news. Okay, back to the normal pod. Before we get into it, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. I know there's a big push for five-star ratings from Ryan. Same here. If you give us a five-star, it really helps us out. Spread it with your friends. We love growing the show. Uh, It's been a bit since we had a show, uh, almost a month exactly, but we're back with some news, guys. Mr. Reggie Bush is back with the university. First off, your overall thoughts. We kind of knew this was coming. We knew it was coming down the pipeline. But now that it's happened, what are your reactions? I mean, I think you look at it, everyone just kind of from a national perspective goes, it's about damn time. And But, you know, USC couldn't really do anything. The NCAA mandated this this uh, this disassociation. And then obviously a couple years ago, they, they made the rule where the disassociation for any individual from a school could only last 10 years. It was only, that was all they're going to force. So USC was basically counting down the days. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's telling though that USC was prepared for this was, had a plan of action ready to go that once uh, the 10 years was up, then, you know, the Bush was going to be welcome back. He and OJ Mayo as well. Um, so I, I think that it, it is telling of the new athletic department and the, you know, Mike Bone and Brendan Sosna and even Carol Fold above them at, that, you know, Bone said he was going to listen and learn. And he said this was one of the things that people were, were most adamant about in his conversations. So I think it's uh, important to, to see that they're, they, that he has done a really good job of listening to the concerns of the, the fans and, you know, the things that are in his control and, you know, easy wins like this one. He went out and got, and obviously Reggie's back. And, you know, what exactly that's going to look like going forward, not, we don't exactly know. But, you know, you, you just – you can imagine number five being back in the Coliseum, you know, number five being on the sidelines with players and, and being able to talk with them and different things. And, you know, that's a, a really fun thought, I think. First off, thank you guys for having me back on the pod. You guys – it's like I can't. Ap- I appreciate being invited back, even though I do not know why you keep having <laughs> me back. A five-star pod with a three-star podcast guest. I love it. You're the guy we develop. We develop your three-star. You're like the Yuchina Nuoso of the pod. We weren't sure in the beginning, and now <laughs> look where you I'm, are. I'm, I'm a three-star left tackle. I need to get in that weight room. Get my get my work on my feet. Work on my. He's literally you know, doing I moves right I appreciate now. you guys. You know, you know that little move. Anyway. 
Great day for USC. Great day for the program. Uh, yes, just jumping on what Shotgun said. Yes, I thought it was very kudos for USC for right away jumping on this the first day. You know, they could have easily maybe like hemmed and hawed and waited a couple days or a week or whatever. But nope, first day available, go out there. And they did more than just, you know, a little uh, press release. They did the video. They did the graphics. They made all the statements. They said all the right things. And that was the easy thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. So congrats on them for getting that right. But yes, a great day for everyone involved. Now the both relationships can start to heal because, you know, there's been a lot of pain with USC fans just wanting to get him back. And then him talking about, yes, I would love to come back. But now moving forward, a new chapter for these for these two individuals, USC and, and Reggie Bush. And, you know, I can't wait to see what happens in the future. It's really surreal for me, to be honest, because I'm still in the mindset of the Utah game where Reggie Bush was at, on the Coliseum field and just talking to the social media people and, and some of the photographers. Like, they couldn't even have a picture with Reggie Bush, like, 50 yards down in the background. They, it was just, you could not talk about Reggie Bush at all. And then I have every USC social media on tweet alerts and the fact that it's blowing up with Reggie Bush. I was like, what is this world? Like, it's just so surreal because that disassociation just made it like he was Voldemort, like he who shall not be named. And now they're just like, he's here. So it's just really fascinating to see how much they rolled that out, how much they were prepared. The annoying thing is that some USC fans were annoyed with Bone that they didn't like immediately retire his number or give him back his Heisman. One, it's not entirely up to USC about his Heisman too, you want to do it right. You don't want to do it in the middle of coronavirus. You don't want to do it like socially distant. But Bone made the point that they wanted to do this on the exact day, the exact first day, first moment that they could uh, welcome Reggie Bush back. So they just wanted to make a point that, hey, we know this uh, and we're going to do it. Whereas the athletic directors prior to were kind of shy, kind of saw the NCAA as the big bully. Now, Mike Bone still thanked the NCAA, but... To be strong in, the, in this position about Reggie Bush, I think it's a big deal. And to do it in such an organized way and a cognizant way, I think is a big deal for how USC goes forward with that, its athletic department. Shaka, I don't know if you remember, but you, me, and Ryan did an emergency podcast when they when the like Black Tuesday, quote-unquote, happened. That's what they call it in the athletic department, where they fired uh, the three people in the athletic department. We said that bringing Reggie Bush back would be a single. Do you still believe that this is a single? I feel like I said it was a triple back in the day. Do you, where is it in your baseball lexicon? Um, yeah, it's a single or a double. I mean, it, it's it's easy. You know, this is like the shift's on and you just, you know, just hit something the other way. This is an easy base hit here. Um, you know, the, there's no defense against this right now. I mean, there are some still... You know, some people that that still want Reggie to apologize and, you know, say that he caused all this. And it's, it's you know, those, there's still going to be some of those people out there. But, you know, I think this was the easy win with the majority of USC fans and, you know, a, an easy defenseless base hit here for, for USC. So they picked that one up. And, and I think that they can still build on it. You know, it's, it's like a rally starter type of thing, you know, if we're using baseball terminology here. Yeah. Uh, just because you know you're getting somebody on base, and now you can build on that. There's other things that can follow with Reggie, whether it's you know the potential of unveiling the number five again in the Coliseum, or you know something like that. Now the Heisman Trophy is a, a little bit of a different conversation, I think, because that's not really in USC's control. It doesn't sound like you know mm -hmm. the Heisman Trust has that. 
the Heisman Trophy Trust, which is the the organization that gives it out every year. Reggie voluntarily gave back his copy. USC gave back their copy. Now the Heisman Trust has to come out and say, okay, we'll allow it to come back. And that's not necessarily a guarantee or anything because nothing's really changed on their end. You know, he still was, you know, um, dinged by the NCAA and stuff. So whether or not that happens, still to be determined. What did Reggie say, though? Hell yes, I want my my Heisman Trophy back. Hell yeah. But he also said that that's not going to be his focus right now. You know, one of the things, and it sounds like that he's going to work closely with USC yeah. uh, on, on some things. Now, it, it, he, the way he talked about it, and he said that's not his focus, getting his Heisman back, but he's really looking forward to working with current and future players on the, the name, image, and likeness uh, conversation. Obviously, that's where the money came from for him because if he wasn't good, he wouldn't have been getting money. So if he was getting uh, you know, money from his name, image, and likeness at that time, would he have accepted money from uh, uh, a potential agent? You know, mm-hmm. it, It's a completely different conversation then. Now, the, the, the crazy thing is, and let's remind people, Keely likes to remind people about this with Reggie Bush, but – he didn't receive money to come to USC. He wasn't getting paid as a recruit to, hey, we got to put $100,000 down on this guy so that he'll sign with USC. He wasn't getting paid while he was playing at USC. This guy did really well. We got to pay him $100,000 make sure he stayed. It was someone trying to get him to leave USC that mm-hmm. was paying him money. So, and obviously, I think all the fans that are listening to this will, will know this information, but if we get any outsiders that come in, you know, just USC wasn't paying Reggie to be on campus type of thing. It was an agent trying to get him to leave and go to the NFL. So it's a, that that con- that just needs to be pointed out every time Reggie comes up, especially now that it's, you know, 15 years later almost uh, since the, the those interactions were taking place. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I think it's a great move for USC, and I think it's something they can build on definitely. It's laughable to me, similar to the disassociation association rule is that you can try to erase his name from the record books and saying he d- he does not have the Heisman or that that's not his anymore when it was very clearly he was the most dominant player of his time um you just can't take that away from him and I know he, physically you want that back and I, I saw the quotes too of how much he would like that back and what struck me is what when Bone said about the discussions about the Heisman is that it's important to him, so it's important to us. And I was kind of reading between those lines and how he didn't want to give away everything they're going to do, but I feel like based on what he said, reading between those lines is that they're going to do their damnedest to try to help him recover that piece of history and get his name untarnished in that way. And, you know, I'm excited to see what they do with that. Um, But I, I think it's an important step for him to come out and say that because I don't know if you would have heard that from past athletic administrations that USC has had. So I thought that was uh, a big thing. The thing that stood out to me, Bone talked about a lot how much Reggie can be an asset for current college students. And it just looks like they're really setting it up for Reggie to be a type of mentor to college athletes, especially with name image likeness coming down the road because he has so much experience with it, but also the mental aspect of everything. I think I've said previously, I think on Tunnel Vision, like I knew from sources who were close to Reggie that it took a real mental toll on him. He felt really bad about the sanctions, about how players he didn't even play with 
uh, in the Lane Kiffin era were being punished for something that he did. And Bone didn't want to speak for, for Reggie, but he alluded to the fact of the mental toll it took on him. And for me, it's just really interesting looking back because Reggie was kind of like the first... I don't want to say big star, but Reggie was kind of like the first big modern star. Whereas like now you have social media, you have all this stuff and, and unspoken social rules about like, don't tweet at recruits, don't harass people. Where I feel like Reggie Bush was kind of the first of his kind to be kind of taken on the weight of being a 19 year old, 20 year old, 21 year old, having all these fans, the college football world kind of turn against you and national writers, national writers who now at this point are like, yeah, give Reggie his Heisman back. Where back in the day, they were not so willing to say that. So I think it's just interesting looking back at maybe the sports world was too harsh on Reggie in the sense that he said that it, it, it affected his Saints career, the mental toll it took on him. And like, what would it be if this happened to Reggie now? Would people be, I don't know, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm just talking, I'm thinking out loud at this point. But the fact that like, if you look at the Cam Newtons who got paid to go to Auburn versus Reggie left, it's completely different these days. And yet Reggie got most of the wrath, the wrath of the NCAA for something that I think kind of paved the way for other people to do things that he didn't even do. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I know Shotgun's not following me. I thought about what you're saying exactly like how would that be viewed now because obviously college football and how the media covers college football is was very much different than it was in 2005 and 2004 where accepting any kind of money was considered like uh, a slight against the whole sport and everything the Heisman stands for and what this sport means but now it's like the dirty little secret it happens all the time and that's more so with colleges playing paying kids like you mentioned with Cam Newton um and now we're about to enter an era where kids can make a lot of money while in college. And the whole kids need to be paid outside of name, likeness, and image. Because um, the fact is, Reggie would have been a multimillionaire in yeah. college if he had been playing four years from now. So, yeah, I think it was just a different era. And, yeah, and he mentioned how tough it was. You know, I, I read the, the quotes I transcribed were how he was haunted by what happened and he would it was the thing that he would like think about before he went to bed and it must be so it must have been so much tougher on him um but yeah i understand what you're saying and just how the errors are different and i think now he wouldn't have not have gotten half as amount of criticism that he got now yeah he was he was kind of like the first social media star because you know, Facebook started, basically came to, uh, you know, to the forefront around 2004. So right around the same time. So, you know, as Facebook was growing, so was Reggie's lore. Now, obviously, Twitter didn't come until a little bit later. Um, and if, you know, if he was at the beginning of the Twitter revolution, then obviously I think that would be even even more so. But because of Facebook and people just kind of putting there, and at the time, Facebook was just people putting their information out there, like, I think this is great, I think this sucks type of thing a lot. Um, I think that you know you start to see and you hear about people talking about this and things get shared, you know, and it's not just the video highlights and stuff, but people's opinion more common, you know, your common person's opinion getting out there more and more frequently. And like you said, I think it, you know it, it, he said it took a toll on him, and it was interesting to hear those comments um, from him and, and him talking about that and how it you know did affect him going forward and you know how. There's something that that linger with him. You know, he never really commented on it. He didn't come out and you know give a public statement about the sanctions or anything. But 
to hear how it kind of took his toll on him, I, I think, uh, you know, tells you a lot about the person that he is. And, you know, he's talked about in the past about wanting to be back at USC. You know, Keely and I interviewed him uh, at uh, Oaks Christian after a Helix game there. And, you know, that was two and a half years ago. And he was talking, yeah, of course I want to be back. So I think it was it was really a, a big day for him. You know, more so than yeah. USC, I think it was a big day for him because of all the the relationships and everything that he got from USC. And he's always talked about how he loved his time at USC for him to kind of get that piece of his life back, I think it is really important for him, you know, to, to continue to grow as a person and everything. And, you know, he, he's carved out a great, you know, he had a long NFL career. People, I, I kind of see him as a bust just because he didn't do all the same things that he did at USC and wasn't as dominant as he was at USC. But he still had a, had a lengthy career in the NFL, had some really highlight plays there, won Super Bowl with the, with the Saints and everything. But now he's gone on. He's great on TV with Fox Sports and stuff. And you know, I, I think the, this is just a continue continuation of his growth as a person. And that's what you want to see from your alumni. Uh, you know, at a school. You know, you want to see them continue to grow and continue to to, to be good people. And I, I think that's what you're seeing from Reggie. That, you know, him getting this part of his life back is really important to him. And you know, for USC, it's obviously really important for them to use down the line. But I, I think it's more important in this moment for Reggie Bush than it is for USC. And I think it's also also worth noting how much Reggie's teammates had to lobby for him. And really, it shows how much they care about him because Bone kept saying that over and over again about how much he was like a day didn't go by where someone didn't mention Reggie to me in his like listening and learning process. So Matt Leinert really lobbied for him. Chris, I know you and I have written about it multiple times because he's done it so much. But um, I just thought that was interesting how much his, his teammates cared about him. I also think it was interesting how Bone just kind of, it was, it was kind of smart. He made this a student-athlete issue and kind of signaled to future student-athletes, if you will, that he was like, I would do this for any student-athlete. I would fight on behalf for any USC student-athlete. So welcoming Reggie back into the student-athlete category, even if it's a former student-athlete, I think was really smart on his part because it, it's, it goes to the brand that they're trying to reestablish in the athletic department that if you're our student-athlete, we're going to fight for you and we're going to try and do what's best for you as a student-athlete. So including Reggie Bush in that categorization, I thought was a smart little branding opportunity. We've kind of already alluded to it, but just looking forward of what this means for the USC program, Bone clarified that this wasn't like an exchange type of deal where, hey, we'll reinstate you if you do this for our student-athletes. He said Reggie can do whatever he wants, but it did seem like they were priming it for Reggie to be some type of mentor for student-athletes and all of the student-athletes, not just the football team. But what do you think this means for the football program going forward? We don't have to get into recruiting because I think that's a whole separate issue about Reggie and how much he means for recruiting. But what do you think for the, the program itself? What does it mean for it? I mean, just the things that caught my attention when he was talking in his first media appearance on the the, the, the herd is the, one of the first things he said is, was I can't wait to get on campus. I can't wait to see all my old friends in terms of people he had relationships with there. And he can't wait to see the young, the young players there now. Um, and you know, that game we was there at Utah, we, you could feel like the, the air around the stadium and just the players uh, knowing that Reggie Bush was in the Coliseum. So I can't wait to see what that looks like for like a full season, whether he's there at practice or he's up at Heritage Hall, maybe giving advice um, on the sidelines. You can finally celebrate with him instead of having a ref uh, come and break up all the things. But yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be I assume it's going to be some sort of official role, maybe like a special consultant or maybe someone that a support staff member, um, some 
position, but I think it would be the smartest things to give that man a key card, get him on campus as much as much as you can, get him a condo next to the uh, uh, the campus, have him up there as much as you can to be just be around the kids and be around. Maybe uh, don't give him a, a house or a place of living. Maybe stay away from that whole <laughs> imagery. <laughs> Company car, company company houses. That's the thing. <laughs> Maybe. Only a company in Palos. No, I don't think I don't think he's going to come on a, an official role um, necessarily. I, I think because of his role at Fox Sports, you know, similar to Matt Liner, where Liner's on campus, you know, often will stop by practice. So I think that's what you'll see Reggie rather than a, an official role. But I, I think it is like Chris talked about. I think it's really important to point out the reaction of the players when he has been around. You know, if you, you look back to that Pac-12 championship game where he was honored as one of the, you know, uh, the greatest of the century for the Pac-12, he came in the locker room and talked with the USC players. They were hyped about that after the game. You know, you know, do you, you look at the, the Utah game when Reggie and Urban Meyer and Matt Leonard and Rob Stone were out uh, on the pregame show, the players were stopping and looking at Reggie and, and Matt Leonard uh, up on the stage and, oh, oh man, that's Reggie. You know, he still has that impact 10 years later, 15 years later. You know, a lot of these kids were in diapers when he was actually at USC. Now, with YouTube, it makes it a lot easier to see these highlights. And I just I went through and put together his 10, you know, top highlights from USC. And I had a list of like 17 or 18 because there were so many really ridiculously good plays that I you know couldn't get them all in. Um, but just looking through those, you just keep going, wow, 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 amazing. And all these players have seen those highlights now, but you know, when you get reminded of it, it, it you know, it, it's just it it continues to be impressive. But the way they talk about him, the way that recruits in the past have talked about him, even if they were in diapers when he was actually at USC, shows the lasting uh, impact that he's had on on the game of college football and you know on the USC program. And I think that Getting him back and just having him around is going to be another boost for you know kind of morale as well. And you know he can give his experiences. You know, and he he's been critical of the USC program. You know, before that Utah game, talking about how they didn't look uniform coming out with some guys with their shirts off, some guys with different things on. You know, so those type of things he can say, hey, when we were dominating, this is what we did, and you know maybe that's going to you know impact the future. USC teams because they're going to listen to what Reggie said. Um, you know, Marcus Allen could say the same thing, and it may not resonate the same way that Reggie Bush and obviously Marcus Allen is another Trojan legend at the same time. But you know, when someone like Reggie and is closer to the age group of these guys, I think that he can resonate even more. So I think he's going to have an impact there. You know, I think he's going to have an impact off the field. You know, with boosters and different things like that. When I mean, you can bring him to an event and say, "Hey, we'd like to welcome you, introduce you to Reggie Bush." You know, obviously he hasn't been around here, but hey, you, you remember when you watched those games? Hey, talk to this guy right here, Reggie. Thanks, thanks for chatting him up and everything. Yeah, sure. Can we get can we get that extra million dollars from you, type of thing. You know, that's going to be a part of it. So it's going to be recruiting not only for. Uh, players, you know, and, and future prospective uh, student athletes, but also prospective boosters. You know, that, there's going to be recruiting there as well that they're going to be able to use Reggie Bush for. Now, I'm not on the recruiting scene as much as you two are, and yet I still feel like I hear every recruit talk about Reggie Bush when mentioning USC, and it's just crazy to me. Like, and I was younger too with the whole Reggie Bush things, but these guys are younger than me at this point, and they're still like Reggie Bush, USC. And so, what can it do now that? 
he actually can be involved with USC, let alone this, like, he was kind of like this mythic figure that, like, hung in the air of USC lore, but now he's a part of the university again. What can it do for recruiting? I'm going to let Chris answer this but uh, or start with this, but first let me point out that Keeley said, I was younger. She's now admitting that she's getting old. Mm, guys, I don't want to talk about it. It was a vulnerable, It's a vulnerable moment <laughs> that you drop. are exploiting. Stop it. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Shakin and I, we cannot go an entire recruiting cycle without hearing at least a dozen kids bring up Reggie Bush. And that's probably without us even mentioning his name. It's just something they throw out there when we ask about USC. It was like, what do you remember about USC or what do you like about USC? It was like, oh, Reggie Bush is more or more often than not the main answer we get, um, especially obviously with running backs. I've talked to a lot of running backs this cycle, it feels like, and a lot of them have said, you know, Reggie Bush is the guy's, is whose highlights I would watch before big games. He's the highlights I would study with my dad on the couch. I would mimic my game after him. So obviously the impact that Reggie will have isn't enormous and it could be, it's probably its own podcast, but I don't really know what, I don't know, like in terms of violations or whatever, I don't know what you can do with him. But like if you had him up there for just like a junior day, just like hanging out on campus, that would just like freaking everyone would go bananas. And if you didn't like tell kids that, they would just like freaking lose their minds. <laughs> and parents too. Parents would probably be just as excited oh, yeah. um, about about seeing, you know, the living legend walking through Heritage Hall or whatever, or taking a photo with him. I pr you probably can't do that at some point, but just imagine that impact of having your number one rated running back recruit for the cycle come on campus and puts his arm around you like, what's up, guy? <laughs> it's incredible, and it's just going to be another mega tool for this recruiting staff. Yeah, I, I think the rule is, and again, we'd have to get clarification before saying this is official, but I think if you're on campus, then, you know, if he's on campus, he can speak to him. He's obviously not allowed to do any, uh, you know, Zoom calls or anything with players right. or, you know, go to go to the school of players or anything like that. But if he's on campus and they're on campus, I think it's okay. Um, but yeah, I think the impact of him being able to say, yeah, you would look great in Cardinal and Gold too. You know, just that simple statement, uh, you know, player, I think that's going to catch some players and they're going to get wide-eyed and be like, yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it's going to have an impact there. But just being able to use his highlights going forward, you know, we, we talk about the, we talked in the last podcast about the hype videos and, and, you know, what that can do for recruiting going forward and how it can be a recruiting tool. Now you just have that extra segment of his highlights, which are just, like I said, just ridiculous. Some of the highlights he had. Um, I was telling Keeley before this, and it's in my highlight story, but, you know, he, he played six games against Notre Dame and UCLA. Three years, you know, each opponent once a year. And he had 10 touchdowns. They averaged something like 43 or 44 yards per touchdown, which is incredible. And it was even more so his first two years against Notre Dame and UCLA. He had five touchdowns that averaged 73 yards per touchdown. That's insane. 73 yards per touchdown. Uh, so, you know, you add those highlights into the mix with all the other highlights that obviously USC has over the years. But I think, one, you're going to be able to recruit running backs in a different way because you have more recency uh, highlights of more recent action there. Uh, since they haven't had, you know, the electric highlight plays from running backs in the recent years since Reggie Bush, you know, the, the things he did were a little bit different than anything anyone else has done. 
Ronald Jones has some great highlights, and you know, Alan Bradford with stiff arms, different things like that. But no one's in that category as Reggie. So I think being able to use those just in sending out a clip to a, a kid or some of the videos that they've been doing for hype videos and whatnot, just be, having him is going to be added to that. But also having him up on wall graphics and putting his name back on things and being able to point to that and say, hey, we think you can be this guy going forward type of thing. You know, I think that just adds that extra element. And because he's he has such name recognition with players that continue, even as we said, that we're in diapers right now when he was actually playing, the name recognition there. And I think you point out a great point, Chris, about the parents. Because those guys were in diapers, you know, who was watching those games at that time were the parents. And, yeah. and I think that there's big name recognition for them and for them to meet a guy where they were, you know, wide-eyed watching his highlights or watching him live, I, I think it's really big there to, to help sell the parents because, again, in recruiting, it's always about selling the entire organization of the recruit, not just the recruit himself. And just to jump on a recent example uh, where Reggie would have been monumental is the recruitment of a guy like Bijan Robinson. Uh, I thought the same exact thing. Five-star guy out of Arizona, one of USC's biggest targets, a guy that people were comparing to Reggie Bush. If you watch his highlights, that same kind of movement, elusive, uh, massive, massive Reggie Bush fan, massive USC fan growing up, wore the number five on his visit. Um, So imagine if like during the photo shoot, Reggie just came out unexpected or he was driving around with him in the golf cart, like that that great photo that Shotgun got um, on campus with Clay Helton. If that was Reggie in there as well, um, just the impact. I'm not saying they would have landed him just because of Reggie, but I'm sure USC would have gone a little bit farther in the recruitment. Uh, USC would have gone a little bit farther in his recruitment down the line. Um, but yeah, you can have impact with top-end players like that moving forward. And you never know what kind of connection that, that a player makes with someone else, you know? They hit it off or whatever, and Reggie's like, hey, here's my number if you want to call me anytime. Uh, and, you know, he because obviously Reggie's not going to be allowed to call a prospective athlete, but they can call us the same thing with coaches, uh, I do believe, as far as the ruling there. But, you know, if they they create a relationship and, you know, he becomes a mentor to someone, yeah. and especially a guy like B. John Robinson, if, if Reggie Bush is his mentor, he's coming to USC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's that simple. Uh, but so you never know what kind of you know interactions and connections are going to be made. And Reggie has has been is such a friendly and open guy. I mean, just from the limited interactions I've had with him, you know, from being on the sideline of that that Helix uh, Oast Christian game, he was just he was so open and nice and friendly. And he's been going through this with people coming up to him for 15 years now, so he's so used to it, and he it, he never you know I don't think he takes it for granted. I don't think that you know he looks at it. Uh, any other way that you know in an arrogant way or anything he just he's very open and very kind of humble about it you know what it has seemed from the interactions I've had with him so you know I I think that he's a great ambassador going forward and especially with the name uh, the name likeness stuff coming up as well a weird wrinkle is that this season could be very weird just given coronavirus and are there going to be fans there's a lot of unknowns what do you do with welcoming Reggie back if you don't have the full fan experience, do you wait a full year? Is that really delayed? Do you do like a partial rollout? I mean, like you want to give Reggie his due after a decade, but what do you do with the the problems at hand? I, I think that's a great question. I mean, 
Uh, you know, you, if you're doing like a re-retirement ceremony or something, if you're like saying, hey, we're going to put the jersey back up on the, the peristyle end or something, do you really want to do that if there's nobody in the stadium? No. Uh, so I think maybe you see it, it. Maybe it is a slow rollout if there aren't fans or if there's a limited number of fans. And, and maybe Reggie leads the team out the tunnel type of thing. So you can see that on the TV broadcast and whatnot. And the team can be hyped up by that, having him in the locker room. Uh, but if you want to do something like, you know, where you would honor him at midfield type of thing, you know, in between quarters and say, hey, we're doing this type of presentation, yeah, you're going to want all the fans back for that. You want them to all feel it. You want them to feel that impact. You know, you want to give out a bobblehead and have a Reggie Bush day type of thing, uh, which maybe lesser crowd is better because then you can give out a freebie and, it's, and you don't have to worry about so many fans being there. I don't know, but. Yeah, I think it's a it's a very good question. Uh, if if there are limitations, do you proceed with what you would have already been thinking of, or do you kind of limit it and and wait until you get a a full representation of the USC fan base? Yeah, I don't want a giant. I don't want Reggie being presented to an empty stadium with a giant Zoom call of USC fans <laughs> going, go Reggie, go with their little bobbleheads. I don't want that. Uh, like Keeley said earlier, you want to do it right. So me personally, I think if you're going to honor someone like that, you want to do it to the fullest you can. And that would mean night game, Notre Dame game, full house, Reggie, Reggie bobbleheads, Reggie jerseys, leading the team out on one said turnover traveler. It would be beautiful <laughs> and perfect. And I can't believe you guys let me set you up for that. Incredible. Boom. See, but the thing, though, is that this year is the Notre Dame game at home versus USC travels to South Bend when you would like have fans again. So do you wait till 2022? Like, what do you do? Or do you bring them out at UCLA? Like, how do you do this? Or do you, do you do it as soon as possible? So many options. I think you wait to get it right. You don't rush it. You want like it to I be said, the full experience. Like I said, I think you can do some smaller things, you know, kind of an appeasement offering uh, until you can, until you can get the the full effect that you want to have, you know, with a packed house and everything. Um, and and hey, we don't know. We still don't know if that's going to be the case. Whether there's going to be limited crowds, you know, what exactly it is. I mean, I've watched some of the NASCAR races. You know, they've been on, and you know, I, I've been watching them. And it's interesting that they're racing twice a week, but they're having their first fans back uh, this weekend when they're going down to Homestead near Miami. And they're going to have 1,000 fans. It's not that many in, in a giant stadium, a giant racetrack. But they're having their first one. So that's kind of that's the first really American sport that's going to have fans in attendance. And then they're going to have 5,000 at Talladega in Alabama, um, in, I think, next week or in two weeks. So uh, those, it's interesting to watch and see what happens there and watch with other sports and different things, how things are playing out to see what happens on the college football level. Because, again – the money is so important to college athletic departments to have a college football season um, that it's going to happen in some form, whether it be whether it's on normal schedule or has to be pushed or there's some other deviation, it's going to happen. It's just too important to the athletic departments for it not to happen. What it will look like still to be determined, and I think by keeping an eye on some of the other leagues and some of the other sports, I think it kind of gives you – uh, a, a precursor for what could happen at USC 
and we just still don't know yet. It's still information coming out, and it's a lot different than it was a couple weeks ago, and obviously a lot different than it was two months ago. But uh, we're, we're still learning and, and kind of we're, we're, we're Mike boning it right now. We're listening and learning before we can lead here on, <laughs> on the conversation. Oh, no. What was funny, in the Reggie Bush press release, the paragraph at the very bottom was like, oh, yeah, by the way, O.J. Mayo is back, too. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy, yeah, he's back, too. Shotgun, you're a resident basketball person. Thoughts on O.J. Mayo? So interesting about O.J. Mayo is that, you know, he was only on campus for one year. He didn't have the same impact uh, of um, Reggie Bush by any means necessary. Um, and obviously, if he would have taken USC on a deeper run in the tournament, maybe there would be a, a different feeling about him. Um, but, you know, he, he was really good in his season at USC. He averaged uh, almost 20 points a game or maybe a little bit over 20 points as a freshman. He was outstanding, but he was also a big part of why they got the sanctions. Uh, you know, he his was much more uh, blatant is not the right word, but it was it was much more of an issue, I think, than the Reggie Bush, uh, you know, that that the way he was accepting money from agents or whatnot. So, you know, he, he's gets returned and obviously he's had a he had a lengthy pro basketball career. He's playing in Taiwan, I believe, right now is the last place he was playing. Um, he got suspended by the NBA and he went overseas to do some different things. Uh, but one of the interesting things I thought was when, when it was announced, there was a little fanfare for OJ Mayo, but he posted something on Instagram that said that he's, you know, he said, this is the caption of it. I'm back, Jack, fight on, Trojan for L, for life. And he said, degree on the way, which is is great to see that if he's coming back to, to finish up his degree um, and, and get take get that taken care of and try to continue to, to further himself as an individual. Um, but, you know, he had, a, he had a strong impact just because he was the number two overall pick uh, or the number two overall recruit and then later the number three or number four overall pick. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the first time that USC had got the marquee guy from across the country. So I, I think that that kind of, you know, unfortunately, USC basketball continues to be an up and down roller coaster. Um, but it, it was a, a great showing that USC could be a program that 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 high end guys go to. And now you're going to see Anyeka Kongwu whenever the NBA draft is finally held is going to be the next top five pick. And who knows, maybe he goes even higher than O.J. Mayo and becomes the highest uh, NBA draft pick from USC, which is what Mayo is right now. But as Keeley said before we started taping, time is a flat circle, it seems, because you get O.J. Mayo back, and it looks like USC is headed for some type of punishment from the NCAA uh, because of the Tony Bland situation, former assistant coach, and the FBI investigation into to college basketball and bribery. It looks like you know USC received a USC received a notice of allegations in November or December, and it looks like they're headed towards some sort of sanction, some sort of punishment because Oklahoma State, who also had received a notice of allegations a little bit earlier, just uh, last week was told that they were going to get a postseason ban. They're going to lose some scholarships going forward, and they basically had the same type of situation. Whereas some people thought. With USC is, you know, Tony Bland, uh, you know, he was basically what it was put out in the investigation made it seem like USC had nothing to do with it and that he was, you know, doing something that furthered himself and didn't really help the team. He was being paid to help steer players 
to uh, potential agents. And that was the whole investigation on the USC side. It wasn't that USC was paying players to come to campus. It was, you know, for Bland to help steer them somewhere else, which is a lot different than the DeAndre Ayton situation or the Kansas situation. You know, those programs could could face, uh, you know, much different repercussions. And if those schools would have got sanctions, everyone like, okay, that, that makes sense. The Oklahoma State one, though, you know, their their assistant coach was the same situation. He was getting paid money to steer players to AC. So it's not like he was benefiting Oklahoma State at all, and yet they still got hit. And they have the number one player in the country coming in, Kate Cunningham. So there's some question there. If they have a postseason ban this year, does he open up his recruitment? The NCAA would probably allow that and him go somewhere else. If that happens to USC, would Evan Mobley open up his recruitment and go somewhere else? You know, so you could have two of the top three players in the country uh, or, you know, the top two players in the country both decide late on the market to open up their recruitment because of NCAA uh, sanctions and stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But it looks like if there's any precedent, which is always tough with the NCAA, there's no real true precedent with the NCAA because they change their minds so flippantly. But it looks like USC is is probably going to be heading to some to a postseason ban and maybe some scholarship limitations. We'll see when it finally comes out. But it doesn't look good for USC basketball going forward. Would you put a percentage on it? On USC receiving some kind of punishment? No, if Mobley would stay or go. Oh, that's assuming uh, they put a. You would have to see what the 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 sanctions are and how they affect the you know affect the program for the single year coming up. And not how it affects them for the long term. You know, if they can appeal the the ban or something and play this year, that you know that you know those there's different things that could go on. But you know, it, it's hard to say until the punishment's handed down, and then you know USC's reaction to the punishment if there is one. That's what I'm curious about. Is what do you think USC's reaction will be? We already know that compliance has been so skittish since the whole Reggie Bush stuff, and I guess OJ Mayo. One, have they already tried to make a correction since the Tony Bland stuff came out? And two, do you think it will get even more skittish if more uh, if sanctions come down or if a postseason ban comes down? What 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 are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean USC tried to do everything they could in this situation after the news broke of the FBI investigation. Obviously, holding out D'Anthony Melton basically for the entire season. You know, uh, Tayshawn Cherry, who was, you know, mentioned in the report, they cut ties with him. He ends up at Arizona State. So they've, that's why it seemed like maybe USC could sell it as, hey, we had no, we had no inclination. This was a, this was a rogue assistant coach. And that's how maybe they would try to sell it to the NCAA. But it, it, and maybe they, you thought maybe that would be enough for the NCAA with the actions they had taken. However, when you see that it's basically the same situation at Oklahoma State and they've got hit with these, uh, these, this punishment, then it makes it harder to believe that USC will be able to come out uh, unscathed. But they've done some different things, you know, obviously, and there's a lot of consternation about DeAnthony Melton being held out and how much I mean, USC could have been really, really good that year. You know, I thought that they were – an outside, a real outside shot, but a team that had the potential to make a Final Four run. I don't know that they would have done that, but they had the potential because Melton did so many different things for that team. Um, and then you had, you had Metu, McLaughlin, and Benny Boatwright, and Elijah Stewart. I mean, that, that core group was so good. 
and Melton did so many different things offensively and defensively uh, that you know they could have made a, a deep run in the tournament that year. So they were really hurt by him not playing, but USC sat him the entire time when they looked into it and looked into it and looked into it, and it seemed like, hey, just make a decision on it one way or the other. Um, but so it, they've given the appearance that they've tried to do everything they can since the news of Tony Bland and the FBI investigation came out. How much will that hold up for the NCAA? And in the NCAA's eyes, always hard to tell with the NCAA. But like I said, with Oklahoma State being in a similar type of situation, it seems USC is probably headed towards some kind of punishment. It's wild that I feel inclined to point out that that's one of two FBI investigations on USC in the last like two years, yeah. whatever. We're going to talk about JT Daniels, and then we're going to wrap this pod up. Uh, it happened a little bit ago, but Daniels announced that he is transferring to Georgia. Um, a little bit of a head-scratcher. I guess I wanted, since you guys don't have your own pod to talk about it, I wanted your thoughts on on the whole uh, development. This is my pod. This is my <laughs> pod now. Wow. I'm, I'm the pod. I'm the podcaster now. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, it was... It was interesting just because from the fact that he's not going to be eligible, or at least we're assuming he's not going to be eligible without some sort of waiver. And I don't really know what waiver he could get because it's not like he has he's from Georgia or anything like that. Maybe something to do with the USC tattoo. I do not know what <laughs> would come of this, but sorry, I just have to mention that. But It didn't work for Bubba Bolden. I don't think it worked for J.D. Daniels. Right, right. But... It's not it's not good. It's not looking good for USC in terms of just the scholarship depth. But it is an interesting landing spot for JT just because they they do have a big name transfer already in there and Jamie Newman. Um, I don't I, I just don't really know why he would pick Georgia unless he's just well, if he's sitting out, then he'll be set up for next year and they'll have a bunch of talent, they'll have a line to protect him, they'll have all the good things. So in that I see um, but yeah, I don't know how that transition will be just from going from being a West Coast kid going to the, the South. Um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think it would be Georgia. We didn't hear about that until late. I had heard Michigan was an ideal spot for him initially just because his family has connections in Michigan. He has, his dad's from there. Um, so Georgia came out of, came out of nowhere, but it, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now. Well, I mean, I heard Georgia at the beginning of May and then no one, I think the, I think him transferring to Georgia being a head scratcher, like got me off the trail because everyone I talked to was like, no, I don't know, you know? And then they came out later. And like, to your point, Chris, I'm hearing now from sources that he's, he's already kind of feeling the culture shock of being in Georgia, Athens, Georgia, and how different that is from Southern California, obviously a very different uh, type of situation. So it's just, it's interesting to me the thought process behind it because we still don't fully know his thinking. We we have our southern correspondent shotgun with this with this report. Yep. We need to know. So I live 45 minutes from Athens, my hometown. Um, so it is definitely a much different vibe on campus. Georgia has one of the largest campuses in the the country. It's the the acreage of the campus itself, whereas USC is self-contained in the one little you know, one little fence around the entire campus. It's all in one little thing. Georgia is spread out all over the place. Like you have to take a bus to go to certain classes. 
You know, you have to, you know, jump on the bus, hop from one class to the next class type of thing. Um, you know, there's, it's a lot different as far as, you know, who lives on campus, who lives off campus. You know, I had a friend who played basketball at, at Georgia and all the basketball players are in the same athletic dorm. You know, all the players were there. Uh, they had their own special dorm, whereas at, at uh, USC, you know, guys are in apartments. They're all off campus. There's very few players that are ever that ever live on campus besides, you know, camp and stuff. So there's a lot of differences there just to spread out. You know, if you're in L.A., if you want to go somewhere, you got to drive. And Georgia, if you want to go, like, if you want to go out to, to somewhere, you can go and there's, like, a row of bars that are nearby. You can walk to, you know, you take an Uber to it and you can walk to it eight different bars back to back to back to back. Whereas in California, you're like bouncing around town in different areas and whatnot. It's just kind of a different vibe there. Obviously the, the culture of SEC football versus the Pac-12 football is different. So with that, I think it's a great landing spot for him. I think it was, it was surprising. I will say uh, that when the news came out, out as Keely kind of alluded to, you know, she had heard, much earlier that uh, Georgia was a potential landing spot. And, you know, again, when that, when she, you know, kind of told us, it was like, that, that doesn't really make much sense. You know, and obviously we, we still didn't know if he was going to transfer or whether, you know, he would stay at USC, finish his degree. So there's two things, the two different ways to look at it, whether to transfer now or to stay at USC. Um, you know, I think that I would probably have stayed at USC to finish the degree for one, you know, get that degree. Obviously, he wants to get that, uh, but also the opportunity to take over at some point because you know you've seen that Keaton Slovis has been knocked out of multiple games, uh, at least for for stretches. So I, I think that you would say there's a much better or there's an opportunity that I'll get playing time this year. At Georgia, you know, he's not going to be eligible. You know, I don't see why there is a waiver now. There's the 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 outside possibility that any one of the transfers can get a waiver kind of this year because of coronavirus. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's a a long shot um, since the NCH uh, cut down on the potential of a one-time transfer. They could have just inst- instituted that now and kind of let that go instead of having to do little waivers. But on the other hand. By him going to Georgia now, transferring to Georgia now, Jamie Newman's going to start this year. Everybody already knows that's going to be the case. If JT was eligible this year, I think Jamie Newman still is going to be the starter. Um, Jamie Newman's you know, a little bit more track record at Wake Forest and stuff. He's been on campus longer. At, at time to, to go through their one or two spring practices they had. But by being on campus now, JT Daniels is going to be in the offense for a full year. But he's also going to be in the locker room for a full year, and he can take command of the team and you know have that you know have everyone kind of looking to him and everyone knows him. It's not like he's a hired gun coming in from outside next year or in January um, and trying to battle in a in a January or a spring battle next year. He's going to be on campus. He's going to be able to do scout team work. The players are going to be able to see what he can do, and we think he'll have success there. And they're going to be able to rally around him already rather than being like, we got this other guy who's been really good too. Now you're bringing in someone else. And like, then you have more uh, locker room kind of uh, conflict potential there with guys that are already on campus and whatnot. Because they have some, some quality backup quarterbacks that are on campus right now as well. Uh, that have, you know, one kid that 
they really like a lot, but he's gone through some medical stuff and, and hadn't been able to play much. And then finally he was going to get his opportunity to compete in the spring. And unfortunately that never really happened uh, at Georgia. But I, I think that that's the way he's probably looking at it is I'm going to get in. I'm going to learn the playbook, know the coaches, know my way around, go, go through the culture shock now before, you know, I have to, before I'm worrying about that at the same time while I'm trying to worry about football. Which makes you wonder how much his previous experience had to weigh into that timing decision because that's what essentially what he had to do at USC. He had to come in, be the guy, learn the culture, and kind of win over the team, and then play in 2018. And so, and obviously that didn't that season didn't go well. But not I'm not blaming that on him. But I think what if that factored into it where he just wanted time to really settle in and be a part of the culture, and then you know move on to try and take on the team rather than what he did last year or what he did coming into USC, which was much more rushed and a, a kind of a, a skittish process. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but also it, it, it was definitely doable at USC just because he is a SoCal guy and a lot of those guys already knew him. So I think that was just an easier transition to make to command a, 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 a room where most of the guys know who you are and you have friends on the team. Uh, but, I, think it's, I think it's always difficult to come in and play immediately when you're getting used to, you know, just the college life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you know, you're not arriving at school at 7:45 and you leave at 3:15 like you do in high school. You know, you don't have that set up. You know, it's hey, you go to a class, you go home for two hours. Hey, you go to another class. It's a different lifestyle. I think you have to get adjusted to that, just the college life and how much you have to actually study versus high school and different things like that. And then, you know, when you add the college football workload on top of it that's where i think it's difficult for a freshman to come in like he did not only just digesting playbook and you the know trying to win offense a QB battle yeah and but not only doing that but the other side of it now i think now he's gonna he knows the college lifestyle but you gotta get used to that culture shock going across the country so i think that's part of it and i think what chris you brought up earlier one point you brought up was the offensive line georgia is has like 19 five-star offensive linemen, it feels like. You know, they have been just racking up offensive linemen after offensive linemen. I mean, they had uh, K. Mays, I think it was, a transfer to Tennessee. They lost a five-star guy. They just put another five-star guy in. You know, it, it's it's ridiculous the offensive line play that they've had recently and the quality depth that they have on at that position in comparison to USC where JT Daniels got really beat up his freshman year. He got injured his sophomore year. Um, so I, I think that that's why I think it's a really good landing spot for him because when he has time, he's really, really good. He can pick apart a defense really quickly. And I think he, he did some things to improve his pocket mobility and whatnot going into his sophomore year. I was really impressed by that last fall. But I think if you just give him time with a, great, a really good offensive line, I think that he, he's going to have a chance to shine at Georgia. Now, as far as the USC impact, USC now has two scholarship quarterbacks at the moment on its roster. There's transfer Mo Hassan from Vanderbilt, who's coming in, I believe, right now uh, at this time period of the year. Obviously, we've mentioned how many times USC's quarterbacks got hurt last season. It's been a theme just with this offensive line and whatnot. What do you do now? Clay Helton alluded to when he went on the Rich Eisen show that they're going to go to the portal and try and get someone to kind of beef up that depth chart. If you're USC, now that you know that JT's gone, what are your next steps? You say USC impact. When you just started that statement, what's the USC impact? I just wanted to be like, ouch. <laughs> ouch. They're cr- that's, it's a crushing blow 
for USC's depth at quarterback. And you go from having two guys with starter experience, and hey, unfortunately, in this offense, you know, especially with a freshman quarterback, he's trying to do a little too much. He's holding on to the ball. You've had some injuries there. Okay, well, if we get a guy injured, we have confidence that, you know, we have another guy that has starting experience, a full season under his belt. Now you're going to, to Matt Fink, and hey, Matt Fink has some starting experience. But if he, and he's a guy that likes to run, he gets to, takes a hit like he did at Utah. He got a concussion there two years ago when he had to step in. Where are you going after that? Now, the, you're fortunate to have Mo Hassan come in as a walk-on. from you know He has some SEC starting experience with one or two starts there, but he's bounced all over the place. Um, he's not going to be the same quality that you have with JT Daniels or Keaton Slovis, obviously. Um, so I, I think that it's a huge blow to USC, especially with, unfortunately, how the offensive line has allowed injuries to happen or the unfortunateness of the injuries they've sustained at that position. And the offensive line is not getting better from last year when you lose Austin Jackson and you lose Drew Richmond. So, you know, it, it, it's it's just not a, a good position because even if USC wants to go out and get somebody from the portal, the quarterback's the one spot where you're not going to get, like, if you're in the portal, you, you're in the portal because you want to start somewhere. They ain't, nobody's starting over Keaton Slovis. So, you know, how, how, what, how much talent can you actually bring in from the portal there? You're going to maybe bring in somebody from, like, uh, Ivy League or a Mac school or something that you know just wants the education at USC and sees that as a way to get it, maybe. I, I think that's your best opportunity there, someone who started somewhere else and has a little bit of experience, but you're not going to get anybody that's going to be really good. Jumping on that, obviously Mo Hassan is the one, the grad tra- graduate transfer walk-on. I would argue he's much better than a graduate transfer walk-on would suggest. He's won yeah. an SEC game, so I think he's a little bit more valuable in terms of that, but it's still, still terrible, still a terrible situation that USC finds himself in with probably two and a half scholarship QBs. I wrote a story after JC Daniels transferred about what's next, and I went through the portal. And at the time of, that I wrote that, there was only seven uh, QB transfers in the portal that were eligible for immediate eligibility. And the options aren't good. There are a bunch of guys from like Colorado State. Uh, a former grad, uh, walk-on QB at Stanford. Um, there are a couple guys I do like, like Texas State's Grinch, Gresh Jensen and Bowling Green's Grant Lloyd, two guys who started uh, game a lot of games last year, so they could be brought in, uh, learn the offense for whatever the fall, back up Matt Fink, and that could be an emergency guy that has experience at you know the Division One level. Guys that can, you know, make some plays, have experience doing stuff in, in an, like an air raid type offense, like with Bowling Green, who actually played for Mike Jinks uh, when they were an air raid offense at Bowling Green. So there's some options, but you're not going to like the options you have to go. And I know people were all excited about the possibility of like a Miller Moss early reclassification, but that's not going to happen. Um, that's like 99. 99- 0.9% chance that's not going to happen. That would actually make a lot of sense for USC on paper, but um, unfortunately, that just doesn't look like it's in the cards. Uh, so it's bad. It's bad right now. <laughs> yeah, Miller Moss is definitely not happening. He told me that that's not even a possibility, um, not something he wants to do. Uh, like you said, there's there's not much in the, the uh, portal that makes much sense for anyone being immediately eligible. Uh, it, it just is... It's not a great position for USC to be in to try to add. Now, 
if Keaton Slovis stays healthy the entire year, then, you know, it all becomes a moot point. Uh, and, you know, but you're still going to next year, uh, you know, even with, if USC is able to sign both Miller Moss and um, Jay Garcia, you're still going to have depth issues going forward because you're going to have three scholarship quarterbacks. You know, you want to have, you know, usually you want to have four. You want to have one per class so that you do have a spate of injuries that you are you're taking care of. So, unfortunately for them, they're still going to be behind the eight ball trying to, to fill that class. So, you know, and it's hard to recruit multiple quarterbacks back-to-back seasons like that. All righty. We limited this to just a couple topics because I knew we would go long. And surprise, we've gone long. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Hopefully we'll be back soon. It's like herding cats with these gentlemen to try and get them in one place at one time uh, virtually. So we'll be back talking about more things. There's always stuff to talk about in the world of USC football. Any final thoughts? Shotgun, take, close this out. Final thoughts. Uh, you know, you, you're looking at the uh, recruiting class that USC is continuing to put together, number four in the nation. Obviously, they bounce back. Adding Miller Moss to that group, you know, is great for us as media because he's a great quote and a very thoughtful person when he, with his quotes. Uh, but getting two quarterbacks is going to be really big for USC going forward. So they got to hold on to both of those guys. So that's my closing thought. And we didn't really talk much about recruiting, but I think that that's a big addition to the class. Yeah, we will. We'll revisit this. So you get a Miller Moss, you get Reggie Bush back. Lots of things coming USC's way. Look at that. USC's not gone more than two and a half weeks without a commitment since the quarantine began. Shouts to USC for that. Hashtag content. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Chris. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. Thanks for listening to the Family Feud Podcast, and we'll catch you next time.